Welcome back to Fantastical Truth from Lorehaven. This is the podcast for anyone who wants to find biblical truth in fantastic stories. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. And I'm Zachary Russell, but please call me Zach. This is episode two. Last time in our pilot episode, we explored an amazing Christian book called The End of the Magi. Yes, that is our want. It was a novel by a Christian novelist named Patrick W. Carr. We explore that book because we love fantastical stories, especially good stories that have been made by Christian creators. This episode, though, we are jumping into a big theme. We like to explore big themes like this one because we believe that exploring these themes will help us to become happier, holier people who are more like our Savior Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we can benefit by getting even more beauty and truth out of stories like these. So I suggested this theme because it's something that Christians who read or watch movies always talk about. You know, what is a Christian story? What is a Christian book, a Christian movie, a Christian TV show? Um, There's whole websites devoted to this. There's all kinds of uh, memes about it. So it's a big question and it's, it, you know, it may be beyond the scope of this one podcast episode, but we're going to make an attempt at it. So what do we mean when we say a story is Christian? And in this case, we also have a bunch of people who don't believe that we should be using the label or that in some circumstances we should not be using the label, um, especially in articles where people are reviewing Christian movies. Uh, the movie critics uh, are really offer some creative observations when they say something like, we don't need more Christian movies, we just need more Christians making good movies. I see this a lot. And switching back to books, novels, I read the same comment around the Lorehaven Star System, for example, uh, although we just started the magazine a couple of years ago, we've been running the blog since 2006. Believe me, we get this topic raised so many times. Should we, shouldn't we look for the Christian label? What does Christian mean? But honestly, there's a lot of cliches that have come up, particularly the cliche of, I'm not a Christian, blah. I'm just a blah who happens to be a Christian. Uh, It's past the point of parody by now. Uh, A few years ago, even the Babylon Bee sent up the notion. They had a story headlined, quote, man, not a Christian pastor. He's a pastor who happens to be Christian. <laughs> As though you could be a pastor that's just no secular pastor. Not at all. And I mean, it's <laughs> some of that, I mean, really some of it gets into some you know personal issues that people may have with the label Christian or maybe even the way that they were raised. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. There's just a lot of interpretations, images, faces, ideas that come up in our imaginations when we talk about the Christian label for a story or movie and such like. This is such a fascinating topic to me. I grew up not really seeing any Christian movies or TV shows that I can remember. I, I did see Veggie Tales. I think when it first came out, it was the hairbrush song. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a funny cartoon. But but honestly, the first Christian movie I remember seeing was Left Behind, the Kirk Cameron one. 1999, 2000. Yeah. Well, the VHS came out in 1999. I, I had it on VHS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did I, yes. That, and, that little sleeve cover with Kirk Cameron on it going, you can't see this because it's radio, but he's going like this. He's looking up middle distance. Yes. Right. The the middle tribulation distance, the uh, enlightened face. But that, um, that was the first Christian movie I ever remember seeing. And I was a very young Christian at the time. And, you know, I've seen all kinds of movies growing up, but there were, there was something so special about that. And I remember watching it on this little 13 inch TV VCR combo 
in the bedroom and just going, wow, like this is a Christian movie. This is amazing. So it it's funny how I had that sense of wonder. And then I'll admit I, I've had seasons of kind of skepticism or, you know, just kind of I'm tired of Christian movies now or whatever. But now I, I've really come back full circle to wanting stories that have something Christian about them. And we'll, we'll discuss what that means. Uh, Stephen, what, what's the first Christian movie you remember seeing? I don't remember because I, I suppose if I saw a Christian movie, maybe it wasn't a Christian movie. It was just a movie that happened to be Christian. <laughs> and I also saw Veggie Tales, but if you're going to talk about entertainment, the first distinctly Christian entertainment I remember was actually a dubbed anime series called Superbook. This oh, was back yeah. in the 80s when Christians had their own Christian TV network. It's like a regular TV network, except it's Christian. And Was it, it a TV channel? You no, know, it was a whole channel. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. No, I mean... And, and, and EWTN or no, that, that's, or that's a EWTN is a oh, Catholic and it might, might still be around. No, I mean, now Christians have their own channel. It's called TBN. Yep. Uh, we'll move on. But the, <laughs> the, the Superbook TV series gave me a positive connotation of something associated with the Christian label. I don't remember. I was a little kid, so I don't remember reading a lot of Christian periodicals news sources, uh, paper newsletters, this is pre-internet days here, describing, oh, you need to tune in your TV at 9 a.m. on Saturday to CBN and watch the Christian cartoon for children superbook. I don't remember how it was being pitched, but I was aware early on, oh, this is a Christian thing as opposed to another cartoon series. And my the connotations, the, the imagination I got from an early age is, the label Christian doesn't automatically make something artistically horrible. It might, but it also might feature you know, two children and a time-traveling robot going through Bible stories, which was the first fantasy slash sci-fi to which I was ever exposed. So that's my positive connotation, but lots of people have a negative connotation with the Christian label, and we want to be sympathetic to them as well. And that's where, if you had more to say there, I was going to go to my concession stand here in just a moment. I think like the classic way people define a Christian story is one of, is one of two ways. It either means it must include blank or it must not include blank. So it must include, you know, God, or it must include a Jesus, like either Jesus in the movie or like a Jesus metaphor or it must include a Bible verse or a conversion scene or a call to conversion. Yeah. Or, or someone praying an altar call at the end, a scene in the church, if it's a contemporary story or just someone picking up a Bible and reading it and getting inspired. I mean, there's a lot of films that would call themselves inspirational films, right? Cause they may not have like overt Christian content. Like I've often wondered, well, (laughs) this is getting a little off topic, but the blind side that, that's that's Sandra Bullock, about the yeah. football player. Yes, I almost think that was pitched as an inspirational film because there wasn't like an overt gospel presentation in it or something. But okay, so all that to say, a lot of people define a Christian movie as it has to include X, Y, or Z. But another definition is it must not include A, B, or C. So C for cuss words. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, violence or gratuitous content. Um, 
and whether that's you know, visual or it's written. So I, I think that's what people often mean. Uh, like either it's uh, on the positive side, it's going to include some content from Christianity right. or it's going to exclude content that Christians find objectionable. Right. Now that makes sense. And th- that brings us to the fact that some of these issues can become very personal, especially when we're talking about what the label means you must include or what you must not include. We're going to tap into, you know, some, some images, some ideas that Christians have and, and, and that we feel very personal about because stories are powerful. They're not some trivial thing that we can dismiss as it's just a story. No, let's respect this gift that God has given us to make these works of culture, to take his creation, do a little remixing with language and words and pictures, and then call it a story. Let's respect that gift and therefore let's admit, hey, this is powerful. This is sensitive stuff. So let's get a few sensitive concessions out of the way in this podcast on-again, off-again feature that I shall call the concession stand. Concession number one, I personally am, am not what you would call a, 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 a cultural fundamentalist. Now, if you say the word fundamentalist and you think fundamental truths, yes, I agree with those fundamental biblical truths. But when most people say that word, they're thinking of a particular idea that good Christians, it's, it's an old idea, but it's still around here and there, that good Christians uh, who are raised by their families or their churches or subcultures uh, ought to view the outside world with suspicion as if movies and TV and such are presumed evil. Or, a little more optimistic, the idea is, oh, those things may not be evil, but they're presumed neutral or at least suspicious until they somehow prove their right to exist. At the same time, even though I don't believe that view, I have different ideas of culture and how Christians look at it, I'm not what you would call, or what I would call, a hate watcher. A lot of times in these, uh, in these topics, when people talk about the Christian label and whether or not we should use it, people are primarily looking at this topic from what I can only term a, a hate-watching perspective. They almost act like that reactionary perspective against fundamentalism itself. They're like, anything but that. So what they're actually doing is they're kind of taking that same posture of anything but what's in the secular world, and they're just swapping it out for anything but what's in the fundamentalist world. Um, I think that what they're doing is they're just taking that habit of suspicion and applying it in a different direction. But I think that that habit itself can illustrate a lack of grace and also misses the point of the good stuff in, in that culture. Uh, for that reason, I personally don't oppose attaching the label Christian to things. To things. I'll certainly attach it to people uh, because the Bible does. But I also am sympathetic to people because I've been one of them. And Zach, you said that you also have that idea. I understand if people are working through that issue, if they've grown up seeing the label Christian associated with some terrible, corny movie or some really ungodly behavior or some really ungodly teaching, sure, if you want to avoid that label attached to things or if you're discovering the biblical doctrine of vocation and you know that a Christian shoemaker can make good shoes, he doesn't have to put the label John 3.16 on them, sure, I'm with you. Let's talk. I would love to hear your experience and share mine, and, you know, even though I, I think I've kind of passed through that stage. But some people do go too far, and they want to avoid using the label Christian in any sense, even for a pastor or even for a person. 
I'm not a Christian, I'm just a person who follows Jesus. I think that's kind of, uh, it's understandable if you've got a stigma with it, but it's also something I think you do need to outgrow because the label Christian is right there in the book of Acts. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think we should pitch out perfectly fine words because there's something we need to heal from. Um, I think that the word Christian is a good one. Christian, by the way, literally means one who is like Christ or a, a miniature Christ, a person that reflects Christ. And I think that it's okay, definitely, to apply that to people. I think we need to approach this topic from a proactive biblical viewpoint, uh, rather than mainly saying, oh no, here's a big problem that we need to fix. Uh, let's throw out a perfectly good word. Yeah, this idea of a, of a cultural fundamentalist is very interesting, because the idea of being a, a fundamentalist Christian, I think is pretty well understood. To me, the simplest way I understand that is someone quoting the verse, separate ye, you know, separate. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Yeah, be ye separate. Thank you. Uh, Got to use the KJV there. Yeah. <laughs> Good old KJV. I, I, I grew up with the NIV, which I'm sure just triggered someone that's a KJV only, whatever. But, um, but you know, the idea of, of, of being a separatist, uh, that is... A category that's not just for Christians. You see that in a lot of different movements around the world, in Absolutely. a lot of different religious and even cultural movements. But I'm like you. I'm not a. I'm not a fundamentalist when it comes to culture. There's a lot of things I'm. I'm willing to watch or read or check out. I may not finish a season if it just really rubs me the wrong way, but I, I'm at least willing to give it a shot. And a really good example of this, though, uh, I was thinking about was Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan was a very polarizing person uh people loved him or hated him and where i i didn't really understand a lot of this until the movie contact came out and then i kind of realized oh this is basically his autobiography of minus all the aliens contacting us and whatnot presumably he was not actually contacted or was well or was yeah so um you know the movie was about these the enemies in the movie were the Christian fundamentalists that were trying to stop SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. They were trying to stop this whole program to get in touch with the aliens and travel there. And that's been Carl Sagan's life experience of having that kind of clash with fundamentalists. And I remember feeling kind of in the middle of that, of of thinking, well, wait a second, I'm a Christian. I'm kind of offended by his view of Christians, but then again, I'm not the kind of Christian that would just automatically reject what Carl Sagan is is talking about or interested in. I may not agree with everything he said, but uh, he's a really interesting person, a uh, great storyteller, a uh, great speaker, and I've, I've learned a lot from him. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess. So that's kind of where I'm at. And um, as I was researching this whole idea of of Christian stories. I ran across this article written about Carl Sagan from a, from a self-avowed Christian fundamentalist. And his point was very interesting. It was all about, you know, Carl Sagan does not believe in God. So if we read stories written by someone from that perspective, it's going to draw us away from our faith. And, and so I can understand the motive behind that of like, yeah, well, you don't want to invest your time and energy in things that will harm yourself and spiritually. But I, I guess I don't really believe that premise is what it comes down to is that watching Carl Sagan's movie is going to make me an atheist. All right. 
I, I see the converse view when Christians, well-meaning Christians, say that we ought not have the label Christian applied to a story or a book or a movie and such. They will say that if we use that label, then it's going to communicate to non-believers that this is a, this is a bad story. It's going to draw you away from artistic excellence. Or if you're more of a doctrine cop-like pers- uh, like person, as I can be on occasion, uh, you'll say, well, if you go into, back when we had Christian bookstores, if you go into a Christian bookstore, it's just full of a bunch of sappy devotionals and, and, and fiction that's poorly written and sometimes outright heresy. And it's all got the label Christian. You know, and the implication there is, well, maybe we ought not use the label. Uh, again, I think that improper use of a word or anything else does not disqualify proper use of a word. But that all goes down to how do you understand the word Christian when it's not applied to a person, but it's applied to a story or a book or an object, a creative work. For me, the definition is simple. And I honestly, I try to do a little soft evangelism about this. I will say Christian story, Christian book. I would say Christian car dealership if it's owned by a car dealership, because I believe that Christians are in charge of stewarding the gospel. And if a Christian made that thing or owns the car dealership or significantly influences it in some way, then I think it's okay to use the term as a shorthand. We're not just souls as Christians, as people who are being made like Jesus. We're embodied persons. And that means because we've been entrusted with the gospel, I see that everything we touch, everything that we create or make has in some way the influence of the gospel, or at least it should have the influence of the gospel. The only exception would be if someone were a Christian who is actively trying not to have that, then, well, I'd wonder about whether that person was a Christian. But Christians behave like Christians, and the word Christian means that we're one degree removed from Jesus, we're a Christ-like one, and that way I see our deeds, our creative works, as being just one more degree removed from him. If you want to nitpick, we would say that the Christian-made book is a Christian-ian book. But why not just simplify that? I think just repeating the word Christian serves as a good shorthand to give you the idea that a Christian made this thing. So, applying it to a Christian story, I don't mean that the story has this ingredient in it, a John 3.16 or an altar call. I don't mean that the Christian story doesn't have this word or this idea in it. All I think is a Christian made the story. The Christian person made this story. If a Christian owns a restaurant, I don't mind calling it a Christian restaurant. Do we know any Christian restaurants around here? I can think of a few that have been in the news lately. But I'm, I'm assuming it's real serious. <laughs> like a chicken restaurant? No, just a little bit. Yeah. Like chicken? No, well, all of these assume this is not just a, a Christian who goes to church on Sundays yeah. and, you know, believes in Ten Commandments. No, I'm assuming a person who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior and follows the gospel. Now, what, did, what did you mean a minute ago by there might be a Christian that doesn't want to be known as a Christian? Is that what you were saying? I'm assuming a theoretical case. I, I don't have anyone in my head, no no okay. novelist or something. Because what, cause what came to mind there, if I can just interject. Oh, you did is, have someone uh, in mind. Okay. Well, so it's more of this idea that um, I had a friend in college that, uh, so I, I was a very young Christian in college, and I'd seen that little ictus you know, the Christian fish. Oh yes. Decal or whatever. Little, that, make, that makes your car a Christian yeah. car when you put it on there. And, and I, I put it on my car. I, I wanted to advertise that I was a Christian cause I'm like, Hey, I'm a Christian and it's so fun to find other Christians. And 
a friend of mine, uh, he, he knows who he is. I, I won't say his name, but he, he did not want to put that decal on the back of his car. And he was actually, um, he was older in the faith than me. We were the same age, but I remember, and I really looked at, I still really look up to this guy. He's a really good friend of mine. And I was like, why don't you want to put that on your car and, and let everyone know that you're a Christian, you know, while you're driving down the road. And he said, because I speed <laughs> and, oh. and like, I'm a really aggressive driver and I don't want people to think that, um, Christianity is terrible because I'm a terrible driver. And I was like, that's very interesting. And then a few years later, um, I had a coworker that had a similar perspective. He's like, yeah, I don't want people uh, getting mad at me and then getting mad at Jesus because they think I cut them off or something. So I'll just put an, an Apple logo sticker on my car so they can just be mad at Apple. <laughs> or you could put the, uh, the, the spaghetti monster sticker on your car. There you if go. you're a culture warrior Christian who really wants to stick it <laughs> Ooh, to the that leftists. Is, that is some 4D chess right there. Yeah, that's some really bad, bad, not love your enemy style 4D chess, and we do not endorse it. So I, I wonder if that is the motivation of some Christian storytellers who don't want their, their movie, their music, their book to be called a Christian story because they think, well, I'm not the best Christian. I don't want to lead people astray. So I better not call it that because then they'll get the wrong idea about Christianity. That's a good positive read on that motive I hadn't thought about, except at least the the stereotype I have is that you put the label Christian on it because Christians aren't supposed to criticize. If you're in church and you're doing the special on Sunday morning and they, they roll the cassette in the back and then you start singing along, if you hit a few sour notes, well, everyone's just supposed to say, oh, oh bless her heart, she means well. Now, that's at least the stereotype. I, I don't know if there's that many Christians who seriously think that, but they might think they need to go along with that because of social expectations. You know, if I could go back to college, I would have said to my friend, well, maybe that's the Holy Spirit convicting you to drive better. Absolutely. So that's kind of the point of the label is that it is meant to be that, that outfit you're, you're putting off the sinful nature. You're putting on Christ. That's the whole point. Is it supposed to make you think better about those decisions? But you know, it's funny now I, I don't drive with that symbol on the back of my car. I have a star Wars sticker. So everybody that gets mad at me in traffic can just hate star Wars. I guess hate star Wars. Oh, no one hates Perish star the Wars. Thought. Absolutely not. Yeah, we'll have to save that for a future episode. So, so are you okay with the label Christian applied to a story? I mean, wh- whether or not, uh, what, what do you think it means or like, how, how would you, how would you feel about yeah. that? I mean, I, I like your very simple label of if a Christian made it, it's a Christian story. I think that that really boils it down to the most simple definition. Um, I think of it in terms of concentric circles. Okay. So in this, in the innermost circle, I would say is the, is the word for F O R. So it's a story for a Christian audience. So it focuses on Christian characters. It deals with Christian theology, issues that Christians deal with. It uses Christian jargon all over the place. And it, it gives you the ability to do a deep dive into a theological issue. Uh, now, the, the downside, of course, is it can be too exclusive to people that aren't in the church or aren't around the church much, just don't know all the jargonese that Christians use. But I, I have definitely seen a lot of stories be classified as Christian stories because they're, they're in this inner circle. They're for 
a Christian audience. Now, outside of that, the next circle outside of that, I would say is about. Well, first of all, let me let me stop right there with the Ford. Can can you think of a story that that falls in that first category? I'm thinking of a whole genre that falls in there that most people think of when they think this is a Christian story. They then take that and they automatically associate it with a, a genre, uh, which uh, one other podcast host called Christian social drama. Okay. And that would be like the contemporary stories where uh, there is a fixin to have some social drama. I think the example that comes to mind most is uh, the, the Sherwood pictures, the Kendrick brothers. Yeah. Um, fireproof and courageous and war room. Um, those are classified as Christian social dramas. What's supernatural in those stories is God working in the hearts of fathers or mothers or someone to bring about some kind of uh, change in their their faith practice, and that's where the conflict is. There's not some epic struggle or uh, satanic figures or any. Well, actually, War Room does have a, a woman very loudly rebuking Satan, telling him to get out of her house. So, you know, you can cross over just a little bit. Um, but that's the first thing I think of when I think of a story that is for Christians that is intended. You know, maybe not to do a deep dive into theology, but at least do a deep dive into how you work out your faith and daily decisions with your family and your career and such. Yeah, well, I, I think the Left Behind books would also be in this category. Oh, definitely. And that's a step and those up are into more, the supernatural direction. Yeah, they're more, yes. more epic and, and whatnot. Yeah, well, those are not afraid to go into um, a, a theological field, in this, in this case, eschatology or end times beliefs. You know, they don't say pre-millennial in there. They, they take a specific view and they, they don't deal with Christians who believed other reviews because presumably they, they all got raptured too, so it's okay. But yeah, that's by Christians, for Christians. But those were so popular with non-believers, though, which I think, and we can talk about this later, but it, it does seem to illustrate that if you get specifically Christian, it doesn't automatically mean that non-believers aren't going to be interested. That's, but, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. But that was a, an example from the 90s, so yeah. maybe it's no longer true. <laughs> so my second category, or the second circle, is about. So um, a story that's about Christianity or about Christians it could be for or friendly towards people in the church. This would usually have less jargon. It's more inclusive. It can be too generic in its portrayal of Christians and Christianity, um, but it usually features Christian and non-Christian characters either in conflict or on a faith journey. The, the example I think about there is something like um, Hacksaw Ridge, uh, of Mel, course. Mel Gibson's Mel movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about the war, but it's about this one Christian character and how he's living out his faith as a medic and a pacifist. Another example would be Silence, that's about the missionaries in Japan. You might even say that, well, no, I'll, I'll talk about that one later, but anyway, this is a movie that, or this is a story that I think is a little bit of a broader audience, but it still has a lot of dialogue, action, whatever, drama related to Christianity. So you would you would still think of it. And we talked about Blindside. Uh, at I was point. thinking of that. that That's this, this could probably fit in, here. in this category. Well, there's a few movies that would fit in this category. A few movies that are marketed as inspirational, but you know, might include you know, a Catholic character or even a Jewish character or just even a decent, not explicitly religious character. Their family-friendly movies might fit in here. You know, if you show the family going to church, but we don't know what exactly they believe. Jesus may not be named here. Uh, it doesn't sound like there'd be a type of altar call. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still very much set in the world where Christianity exists. In terms of books, probably my favorite book in this, this circle is The Sparrow, which is about uh, this group of Jesuit priests that travels to the first planet known to have alien life on it. And it's very much a book about the journey of faith and the struggle of faith and all of the tragedy they endure. But, um, but on the other hand, it's a sci-fi book. And so which, which is it? Well, you could kind of put it in either category. So that's kind of how I put this category. The first category, the four, a Christian audience, it's almost like Christianity itself is the main topic or the spiritual transformation is the main story. In the second circle about, it's almost like the actions of a Christian or the, the social drama or whatever is, is more the focus rather than the spiritual aspect. The spiritual aspect is included, but maybe second place. But the third category, uh, and this is one that a lot of fantasy and sci-fi books and authors, I think, gravitate towards, is what I call like. So it's a novel that says Christianity is like this. So, and this is for an even broader audience that includes the spiritually curious or even just the spiritually indifferent. And this is a story that is very analogy or metaphor driven or theme driven. And it can go everywhere from very extreme and obvious metaphors or to more subtle and kind of hidden. Uh, it can go from preachy and on the nose to sort of you're kind of confused at the end. Um, what do you think of in this category? I'm trying to think of a few book examples I've read. Honestly, at least in your previous category, I can think of a few stories that had a lot of emphasis on the actions of the characters, but not so much on the inner life. And, and as a result, felt a little bit more timeless because they weren't dating themselves or, or going like into a particular tradition. Like in, in some of the Christian movies, like, they're not saying, oh, everyone here is a Baptist, but it's kind of obvious everyone here is a Baptist. Uh, the second category. Just casserole. Right. I mean, and, and that really brings up the question, too, of denominations, you know, particularly when people are thinking of the label Christian. You know, if they associate it or its use with a particular denomination, then I can understand that they'd be a little nervous about it uh, if they've changed denominations or had trouble in a particular church. Uh, the third category here. I mean, would, would, do you think the Lord of the Rings would, would fit in there? I mean, no, it is, I wouldn't. It would not. Okay. I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. But All right. Definitely Narnia. Okay. Would, oh, def- okay. Well, yeah. that would make sense because Lewis did want to, you know, communicate a, a theme wrapped around yeah. images that he started with and then, quote, suddenly Aslan came bounding in, end quote. And although, future podcast topic, Aslan is not an allegory for Jesus, he is what Lewis called a supposal, Lewis's word. Suppose that Jesus in person was working in a fantasy world like Narnia in ways similar to how he takes an active role shaping this world. Um, so yeah. that does make sense because Christianity is like this. Lewis doesn't have a salvation system in Narnia. There are no direct analogs to the Bible. Aslan doesn't have a storybook he passes around. It's all oral tradition as far as we can tell what's told in future generations about what Aslan has done. There's no Narnian church. Some Narnians are not even true followers of Aslan. It's, you know, the allegory doesn't work if you try to push it, but it is, I would say, a novel or series, a, a septet of novels that say Christianity is like this. Yeah. The, the modern equivalent of this, the, the first 
I guess, contemporary book I read in this category would be Ted Decker's The Circle Trilogy. Well, I guess there's four books, but we'll just talk about the first three books. That, that series really hooked me because of a lot of the metaphorical ideas. And it's about this person kind of trapped in this dream world, and there's this virus taking over the earth and a lot of other kinds of things. And there was very direct references to God and angels, temptation, but at the same time, it was a very fantastical story that dealt with very, you know, speculative kinds of things, very fantasy driven. It kind of blended the suspense thriller with a a more allegorical recreation because in there, there was an allegorical representation of the church and even a fall into sin before that. It was, yeah. you know, not to spoil it if you haven't read it, but it is a, an allegorical world where, like within the span of a single generation, you have the entire narrative of creation, fall, redemption. And then I'm trying to remember if he eventually gets to restoration, but that may have been in the fourth book. The fourth category I'll talk about, the outermost circle, is the word by, B-Y. So a novel by a Christian for a wide general audience. It's not a message or theme-driven story, but the author is known to some extent to be a believer. And so this kind of gets back to what you said at the beginning, that a Christian story is a story written by a Christian. And I think there are a lot more stories in this category than we probably know about or talk about uh, today. So that's what I love about Lorehaven Magazine. It's introduced me to a lot of these stories I wouldn't have known about. So is there something right away that comes into mind for this category? Um, not a novel, but, a, but movies by director Scott Derrickson, who has some leftist views, which may bother some conservative Christians, of, of which I'm, I would classify myself as one of them. Hopefully the label doesn't give you too much trouble there either. But Scott Derrickson is a professing believer. Uh, when I listen to him being interviewed or read his material, what he, what he believes backs that up. I think his, his claim to faith is sincere. And that would, by at least my definition of the label Christian, that would make Doctor Strange the only documented Marvel Christian movie so far. So you can have these amazing crossovers. I, I think that, for example, oh, Andrew Stanton um, with Pixar Animation Studios. Um, I believe actually when WALL-E came out in 2008, World Magazine had an interview with him his, his claim to faith was not hidden. He's not going all light under a bushel basket here. These folks are, are leading with their professions of faith, but they're not in a way that we would associate with, uh, say, you know, the God's not dead creators who are saying, you know, this is a movie, uh, you know, by your term, uh, it's for a Christian audience. Wally was a general story by a Christian made for a wide audience. And the Christian themes are there in that story. Uh, you, you have, I mean, you have a robot named Eve, you have an Adam type figure. Yes. Wally, it's not a direct allegory. It's just, just those Christian ideas went into the ingredients of the story. Uh, you have a portrayal of human beings who are not flourishing. They've taken gifts like food and technology to excess and they've lost touch with the planet. It's an environmental theme, but one that is, I think, based in the book of Genesis. So is it a Christian story? Yes. Is it a Christian story because those parallels are relatively simple to draw out? No. It's a Christian story, I think, because a Christian made it. And of course, lots of non-Christians worked on it too, but the director and the main writer was a Christian, 
I think we can call it a Christian story, and I, I think it fits nicely in the fourth category of your your system here. Yeah, and I I think what you're also getting at is that it's it's known to be a Christian film because the director wanted to create a Christian environment to make that film in, or just have a very Christian approach to how he treated everyone, what what whatever role he was in. Um, but I would um, you may disagree with me, but I would put Lord of the Rings in this outermost circle. No, as would I. Now, now that I've heard you okay. describe all of it, yes, yeah, and in and. You know, and famously, that's the debate between him and Lewis is that apparently Tolkien wasn't a big fan of Lewis's metaphor, uh, use of metaphor. Or the or alliance. Yeah. Yes. And he didn't endorse Narnia. Is that correct? I don't believe he did. No. Was Where, it over this issue? I don't recall. I mean, I know that Lewis gladly endorsed the Lord of the Rings. He said, here are beauties right. that pierce like swords and <laughs> such. It was, a, it was a wonderful endorsement. It's just too bad it didn't get reciprocated but but what i understand of tolkien i'm now i'm sure you uh listener you might know a lot more about tolkien than i do you probably do but what i understand about tolkien is that people asked him all the time well what does the ring of power stand for is that nuclear weapons is is it capitalism is it government and and he did not like that question because that's not why he wrote it he didn't want it to be this metaphor or allegory he said i believe the quote was actually i despise allegory in all forms <laughs> now, that may be a paraphrase or it might be a direct quote we might clarify in the show yeah, notes they had very strong feelings he would not be in the inner circle of my four circles here no and that's fine now looking at modern examples of this of and starting back in the inner circle of four I mentioned Left Behind. There's another trilogy I read in college called the Christ Clone Trilogy. Very, very similar story beats as Left Behind. Well, it's an end time series, it's isn't it? It's an end time series. Yeah, had a very Pre- unique take on the rapture, as I recall. Yes. All the yeah. Christians die. Is that correct? They just die. Their dead bodies lay we, around. We, we have to review this for... It's fantastic. It's probably the, one of the areas where the, the Left Behind series view of the rapture where your body disappears and your car is unmanned Yeah, would seem to respect the... Uh, the integrity of the body a little more yes yeah it's not just the spirit like there's actually a little bit more resurrection in that idea there well and and possibly it's it's called christ clone because they create a clone of jesus's cells that were on the shroud of turin yeah i hate it when that happens yeah as you know it happens all the time so and the book follows a non-christian character for most of the story and i won't give away the ending but uh, that alone makes it very interesting and very fantastical. But on the other side of the pre-millennial, post-millennial is The Lamb Among the Stars, which we've talked about, and which we're definitely going to talk about in an episode because I love that series. And it's not really about my end times view because I'm, I'm kind of like you. I, I don't really have it nailed down what I, what I think about the different eschatological views, but that series is still great in how it takes that view seriously and creates an entire story universe around it. But um, my point of bringing these up is that some of these are more family friendly than others. Like I would, I would put left behind on the very family friendly lamb among the stars kind of in the middle. There's a lot more uh, violence and stuff, but Christ clone kind of at the other end There's just a lot. I mean, cause again, it follows the non-Christian characters and, and, and all that stuff. But um but this, this is also to say that Christian can carry 
denominational, theological assumptions, as well as content assumptions. It gets us back to our first, our very first divide is Christian means it includes this or doesn't include that. Uh, so I think we have to be kind of careful there. Right. Well, I noticed, for example, when you were describing your, your, your four-point system here, you weren't making any judgments or discernments and saying, now we'll go in order from most Christian to least Christian. Right. I mean, if we go with my, my definition of a Christian made the thing, and that makes it a Christian thing, then there's room in the faith and in all of our creative endeavors as Christians for all of these. Right. It doesn't mean that if you're Andrew Stanton at Pixar making you know, G or PG rated movies for general audience, that that's less Christian. Christ can still be glorified consciously by the Christian creators of that story. And if you are Alex Kendrick making a Christian movie, you know, under that label or the inspirational label or any of that for a specifically general or specifically Christian audience, that doesn't mean he's made a less Christian story. Now you might disagree with the artistic value or even the truth content of a movie that's been marketed as Christian, but I still think it's a Christian story because a Christian made it. And like you said, we would need to be careful if we say that, oh, that thing you Christian made, that has this in it. So that means it's less Christian or not Christian at all, or it doesn't have John 3.16 in it. And because I associate the label Christian with a direct evangelism call, then it's, it's not Christian. And it, there's, there's room for these different creative expressions. And to back that claim up, I would point to the Bible itself. The book of Esther, barely or hardly at all, actually it does and not it never mention. never says the word God. It makes an allusion to providence, similar to the Lord of the Rings, actually. Or Gandalf says that Bilbo was meant to find the ring and Frodo was meant to have it. It's a subtle allusion to some guiding hand behind the story whose owner is not named. And in Esther, Mordecai tells Esther, who knows but that you have been put into this position for such a time as this. The 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 subtlety there is almost identical. And so Esther itself almost counts as, as a story that fits in your fourth category here. Whereas obviously the gospels, as we talked about in our last episode about the, the end of the Magi, I mean, those are, are those are overt, but I don't know if they would fit neatly into this, but the point is that parts of the Bible, even stories told by Jesus, if someone else told that story, it'd be a secular story. Oh, right. That, it would seem to be. That's the very interesting. I mean, like the, the workers in the vineyard, you know, like absolutely. You could see, you could see that story being used in a as a political uh, metaphor. Uh, like I won't get oh, into like, it. Oh, the, oh, the the people who were paid the same, even right. though they, or well, the, or the or the different uh, servants who were given uh, different amounts for investment, and then the right. third one just ends up burying the ground. Yes, I've frequently heard that used as a metaphor for uh, economic systems. Right now, you know, I. I wrote this note earlier. Um, I think a lot of times what people mean when they say it's a Christian story is it advances the cause of Christianity. So like the purpose of it is to highlight something in the Christian experience or the Christian message or Christian values. And it's less of a, uh, the, the point is less on the story itself or the creator of the story as much as the purpose of the story. So. Again, I'm, I'm like you said, I'm not really judging any of these categories, but I'm I'm trying to understand all the different ways people define them. But here's a here's an interesting one. If you go to that second circle about, 
a story that's about Christians or Christianity, I think sometimes these are the most interesting ones because these stories can be made by non-Christians. Now, I, d- I don't know about all these screenwriter, the screenwriters and directors involved, but the movies that have come to mind are The Apostle, Silence, and Tree of Life. All of these deal with Christians or themes of faith or real-life experiences of Christian missionaries. I don't know what the purpose of these directors making those films. I don't think it was to advance Christianity. I just think they fell in love with these stories. And and that's the kind of interesting thing here is that God works through stories even despite what people want them to be about or want to do with them. Is there anything that comes to mind in that? Well, it, it does mess with my definition in that I, I don't know if I would call it a Christian. Well, see, this is why this gets complex because okay, first we don't know for absolutely certain whether director X is or is not a Bible believing Christian. Uh, I personally would look at, you know, previous movies he's made and ask, well, does this exploit people or, you know, in the manufacture of the movie, does this cross a line that I don't think a Christian creator is able to cross? I, I might ask that, you know, trying to do a little fruit inspection there, but just, just to do micro concession stand there. Yeah. We, we don't know whether, you know, so-and-so director is a Christian or isn't, but if we don't know for sure, at least I couldn't use my system of saying a Christian story means this is a story by a Christian. Um, that, that is my thought about that. It doesn't mean that it's not a good story though, or that Christians should avoid it because we only deal with stories made by Christians. No, I would disagree with that, but I might I mean, I like your language here. It's friendly to the church. Some, somebody who's not opposed you know, Jesus did say at least one weird thing about how somebody casting out demons, but not in, uh, not, not like the disciples were doing it, was, was somehow an ally. And Christians go too far with that. But yeah, I would have to think about that one a well, little bit more, I, a future topic perhaps. And I'm clarifying here that I mean a story that's, yeah, friendly to Christianity right. and Christians. It's not just an attack on Christians and it just happens to be right. or, or, or neutral. Yeah. Right. Sure. It's, it's something that's that's positive and wants you to have a good feeling about it. Um, now in that next circle, like, I've heard people say The Matrix is the best Christian movie ever or Star Wars is the best Christian you know, trilogy ever. Um, or even movies like one of my favorites in recent times is Oblivion with Tom Cruise. I still need to see that. Oh, it's, it's fantastic because it takes this kind of sci-fi golden age concept called a berserker, which I won't define. Well, please don't spoil it too yeah. much, yes. Uh, you can don't Google it, but go go watch it and then then Google that word later. And it really portrays how Satan operates using deception and twisting things around. And it's it's fantastic and how it portrays this one aspect. Now, I know there's people that have that have seen it the other way and that see a certain character in this film as a mockery of God. And, you know, that's up to interpretation. But the interesting thing here is, again, these movies that point to Christianity or Christian truth, like The Matrix, they, what I understand, the Wachowskis had a Buddhist background, and they intended all of the metaphors that were in it. But, you know, it may, the, the point is that some of the Christian connections can almost come accidentally. Now, you're still playing in God's sandbox. 
Yeah. This is my father's world. He made all the parts. You can put them together differently as much as you like, but it's still going to be operating by God's physical laws. Mm-hmm. You got your tinker toys and you, you try to stick them in weird ways. Like it's still God's playset. Right. I mean, it, 2012 was an interesting movie in that regard because they destroy, you know, the Vatican. And then there's a, there's a flood of the whole world, which the Bible says there won't be a flood. But then they are, they're all saved in arcs. arcs yes. <laughs> Multiples. Yes. And it, it well, also, well, they, involves, they, even, they avoided flooding the whole world because I think one, they had one continent. Oh, like survive. The or I something. think it was Africa yeah. or something. Oh yes. yeah. Africa didn't flood, but, it, but even like the themes of that movie, it's all about self-sacrifice. Well, where do we get that idea? Right. You know, and that was, it's God's idea. And that was what really drew Lewis to faith was all of these themes. I really like, where do these come from? Like they can't just exist on their own. They're, they got to have a source. So right. I think God definitely works these stories, but the, um, you know, that again, just taking back to the outermost circle, the broadest, uh, definition by it's by Christian or even looking at movies that have Christian actors like, Chris Pratt or Zachary Levi, you know, they're just as much a Christian actor as Kirk Cameron uh, or Kevin Sorbo, even though the latter are more in more explicitly Christian movies. Uh, But it's very interesting to see different ways that Chris Pratt and Zachary Levi use their platform to share their faith or try to make an influence for Christianity. And again, they're these, these guys are all across the spectrum in terms of the films they're in. Uh, but I, I think this just thinking through all these circles has really helped me to have a more charitable and generous and just open-handed view towards Christian storytellers because I, you can find Christian storytellers in each one of these circles. Right. Now, and, and it's even easier to apply the label to a person, an actor, who has directly professed allegiance to Christ and belief in the gospel than it would be to a thing. You know, I have my way of applying it to a thing, but you know, the point is it's, it's okay to apply it. I think it's okay to apply it to the thing, but people, if people have their imagined ideas of what that means, I think we need to work through those ideas in a fashion like we've tried to do it now. And really, I'm glad you said that about being charitable because that really does need to be the point. If, uh, oh, the direct Scott Derrickson. If Scott Terrickson goes on Twitter, which he has, and drops him some F-bombs, which he has, or speaks against the political leader that you associate with conservative Christianity, which he has, that doesn't automatically mean, oh, fake Christian. Now, I disagree with him. Let's be really clear. I would disagree with, first, the style, and second, probably the substance. But as far as we know, he's still our brother in Christ. And when he's making movies, he's actually made some pretty good movies. And they have a lot of redemptive themes in there. Not John 3.16 or the sort of thing you would get in a Christian movie that's been directly labeled, but they're still there if you know where to look. And it, and it really is about sticking to the biblical definition of Christian, but also being charitable when the person or the story uh, doesn't match what you expect that label uh, to contain. Stephen, now that we've had these expanded definitions of Christian stories, you know, we don't want to just make this an academic exercise. So what can we do practically about all this? Well, you did the first practical application earlier. You mentioned that attitude of charity. And I think that's the most important thing is that especially when we encounter people who have particular ideas about the Christian label, whether or not you should use it or shouldn't use it, 
Um, let's say you meet uh, an older Christian, someone from maybe an early generation who thinks or believes or even states outright, well, I'm not going to read that unless it's got the Christian label on it. We need to be very charitable to them. Um, I think that if we, if we nitpick that, or especially if we try to go too far in the opposite direction, um, let's say I'm, I'm a younger Christian, um, I've just say I've graduated from high school and I'm in college, and I'm discovering that the world is a lot bigger than I thought, and I start thinking about the church back home and how they're all up into just reading Christian books and watching Christian movies, and let's say I'm sick and tired of the label Christian, maybe I'm still a Christian, I still love Jesus, thank God for that, but I'm sick of the label you know, why do we have to use the label? I don't want to uh, enjoy movies that are Christian movies. I just want good movies that are made by Christians. You know, and look, I empathize with that belief. I've, I've shared that belief. And I still, as we've talked about, believe that good Christians can make good stories anywhere with or without the label. But if we start nitpicking at the label, I think we reveal that we need to grow up a little bit. We need to make sure that we are showing a loving attitude to someone who's still stuck on the label. And if we have a tragic backstory, like let's say well, I grew up and only thing I could ever listen to was this rotten music that was called Christian music and it was terrible and it was artistically inferior and it had bad ideas that ruined me. Look, I respect that. That's a genuine tragic backstory. They shouldn't have done that to you. But that wasn't about the labeling. That was about bad product under the labeling. I mean, if you had a bad steak, doesn't mean that you're going to heal from that experience by not calling it steak. My second application there is to recognize that every group naturally has a subculture. Christians in the U.S., particularly in certain denominations or movements, you know, like the homeschooling movement, yes, they're going to have a subculture. Everybody has a subculture of some kind. Dungeons and Dragons players have their subculture. Pokemon players have their subculture. Comic book fans have their subculture. Why should Christians be exempt? Some cultures are not evil. Just like any good gift, they can be distorted and idolized by human beings who are fallen. And my, my final application there was kind of on the reverse side, especially for you know, more conservative folks like me who, like I said earlier, you know, we may be tempted to look the other way or close our eyes or say bless their heart when someone uses the Christian label, but kind of uses that as an excuse for content that isn't very glorifying to God. Either it presents an idea that is against the Bible. So it's like a get out of free jail card. Well, exactly. Get out, uh, get out of jail free, whatever. Yes. <laughs> that card. Well, they play the Christian label card. Yeah. Hey, it's got the Christian label it's on a it. shield. You yeah. No. You, you can't criticize. I don't think that that is a very Christian behavior for a Christian person. I think that Christians need to be honest if we say, you know, that movie didn't reach its own goals. That movie was trying to do X and it just, it didn't quite get there because the person may be very well intended, has a good heart, bless their heart, but they're not very good at making a movie. Or like, for example, um, on the, the Lorehaven uh, blog, Speculative Faith, uh, we, we have, we will have reviews of books that uh, we don't put these in the magazine, but we will have reviews of books or movies that we feel are not very good, you know, even if they're made by Christians. And one can be Christ-like in applying that criticism, but we do need to realize that Christians must aspire to high standards based on the gifts and calling of the creator of the work and the rational expectations of the audience. 
The creative work must be true, biblical, must be beautiful, excellent, and it must be good, just as God is good. Phew, that was, uh, that was three applications. You guys listening could probably think of a lot more. You probably have so many experiences with people using this label, misusing this label, avoiding this label. We would love to hear about all of your experiences based on this rather large topic. That's right. Well, this is our second episode ever. So if you are listening, we would love for you to subscribe and tell a friend and give us your feedback. Go to lorehaven.com and send us your thoughts, your comments about this episode. What would you like us to talk about? What would you like to hear? Oh, guess and what, explore Zach? with us. They can also email podcast at lorehaven.com. There we go. Much easier. And if you are not a subscriber yet to Lorehaven Magazine, we would love for you to join our subscription. It is totally free to get that emailed to you every quarter. And one of our recent issues covered the book Hidden Current by Sharon Hink. And we are going to talk about that book in our next episode. And we're going to talk about the central question of that story, which is what if dancing could control the world? What if you could dance in a certain way and magically affect the world around you? And what what would you do if you had this power in your ordinary life? Uh, it's something I've thought about a lot, and I'm not much of a dancer, but I have come across this question in my life, believe it or not. So join us next time for this discussion. Yeah, we'll try not to step on too many toes, but it's going to be an exceedingly great topic. We may even have a guest with us as well. Thank you so much for listening. Godspeed. And thank you as well for joining us to seek and find fantastical truth.